You don't sound autistic. Well, what does an autistic person Wait. sound like? You're autistic? Yeah, I'm telling you that. You don't even look autistic. But what we're talking about. Yeah. But, but I don't buy it. But I, I was diagnosed with autism and ADHD and anxiety and depression. You don't sound autistic. Welcome back to another episode of You Don't Sound Autistic. I'm Blake. And I'm Rochelle. And I'm autistic. And I'm not. And we always like to remind everyone to subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform so you can be notified of the newest episodes when they're released. Also, don't forget, damn it, I'm not supposed to say that. (laughs) You're supposed to say remember. 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 To join the Facebook group. Join the group. Join the conversation. The Facebook group is You Don't Sound Autistic, YDSA. On Facebook, of course. We like to welcome our listeners from all over the planet, um, (laughs) all over the country, the United States. We want to thank everyone and also everyone that joins the Facebook group on a weekly basis. Thank you for joining us. So, Rochelle has her spiel. Take it away, Rochelle. Okay, I'm doing my best here. Um, This is for our new listeners. If this is the first time uh, that you're joining us. You Don't Sound Autistic is a mental and emotional health awareness podcast. Each week, we do our best to represent both neuro perspectives and talk about the continual discovery process of life on the spectrum. Our goal is to illuminate, uncover, and transparently discuss life with multi-diagnosis through a multi-generational neurodivergent lens. We follow an open, unscripted, conversational format that represents the real life back and forth of communication and collaboration. Even if you aren't raising the next generation, you'll find the comparison of our age groups helpful in seeing the more hidden patterns of in the DNA of your lifestyle and lineage. All right. Yeah. So we've uh, we took a week off. I don't remember why. I think thing life just happened, and we said we were going to do an episode, and then we didn't. Well, we tried. And now it's Sunday, and. We got to get this ball rolling. <laughs> We're back on schedule. Well, we did. Um, we have learned the value of when we're not feeling well, we don't just sit and talk for an hour. So if either one of us is not feeling up to it, and we both had reasons in the last two weeks to not be able to be our best, then we've learned to respect that that's a boundary. Like we'll wait till we're 100% and we'll come back. Well, we did start recording an episode uh, last week, but we only got 20 minutes in and I just wasn't feeling well. Yeah, it was a rough night. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. And then uh, the last two nights I have not been in a... recording mood? I haven't been... My emotions have not been above ground. <laughs> I've been... In the gutter? I've just not been... Where they belong? I, I don't, I don't, I, man, I really have a ton of respect for you. I don't know how you function with chronic depression. I, I get it in waves and, but when that, when that feeling comes, I mean, it is, it's a heavy, it's like a heavy weighted blanket. Um, it just turns your whole body into, <laughs> into mud. How weighting weighted blankets were supposed to be comforting? Well, you know, I think they can be, but when you have that deep wave, big waves of emotion, I mean, for me, they come in waves, but you live in chronic depression. So I don't know how that differs, but it just, I just felt incredibly heavy. I couldn't even, I didn't even have the strength, I guess, to ask Alexa to turn my music on the music I sleep to every single night. I couldn't even bring myself to do it. And as a result, I couldn't sleep because 
then my mind you didn't have just your kept... magical music. Yeah, you didn't then... have your Taylor Swift <laughs> in piano form. Ah, uh, yeah, no, it's true. So my my the anxiety in my head just kept spinning and spinning and spinning, and I was like, oh my gosh, just tell Alexa to do it, and I couldn't muster the strength to even say, hey, turn on my music. I couldn't. It was it was hours and hours. Every time I try and get out of the bed. Declan would wake up and go, mom, I'm like, how do you freaking know? I just got out of the, you know? So anyways, it's, I appreciate the brevity of my experience. And I also appreciate the experience itself because it helps me relate more to you, but it is, it, it's a heavy feeling. Yep. It just felt really hopeless. Like, I think anxiety feels like you're racing through all these ideas and, and what about this and what about that, you know, and at least you kind of feel like you're moving even if you're panicked, at least for me. Well, anxiety comes in different forms. Well, that's fair. What do you mean? No, sometimes you can be sitting there and be stressed. You can be super anxious. You don't necessarily have to be doing anything. No, that's what I meant. I was just sitting in my chair and my mind would just race through all these different inexplicable I have someone that um, is in the relief, grief, and burnout phase of the self-discovery process and and being somewhat indirect in their communication. And and, um, and so it just left my mind racing. Like Name this person. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, and because then you're like, what are they really trying to tell me? You know, they're saying, giving me all these verbal jabs. It's like, what? Are they? It just becomes so... Over and I have an analytical mind, um, and I and I feel like I'm pretty intuitive, and sometimes that's a dangerous combination when, you know, your emotions are out of whack. So wait, whose emotions are out of whack? This mine. other person or yours? No, well, okay. I'm sure theirs are too, but mine mine definitely were. Gotcha. So is that what we're talking about this week? Is emotional dysregulation? I think so. You know what I've been studying the most of, um, because I just became very sharply aware of this in my own life is um childhood emotional neglect hey. ah. ah sorry ah, that's <laughs> um, a fun topic sorry i yawned i know it's a difficult topic but um i'm starting childhood emotional neglect and i came when i first started to learn about codependency and some of the challenges i was having in some f- familial relationships a few years ago, um, after my dad died, I came across this concept of a childhood emotional neglect. And I remember identifying with it so completely that I reached out and found a therapist that same hour. And I was like, I need help with this. Like this fits so much of what I live with. But um, as more and more of the research, that was, that was 2017, 2018, I think now. But as more and more of the research is being done and coming out, it's really... Um, painting a different story for full generations of why there's so much struggle processing emotion. And as, as you know, um, emotional processing is a big part of ADHD and autism and anxiety and depression. Wait, which part is? Processing emotion. Oh, right. True. In fact, um, I don't know if you know, but before ADHD was really ADHD, it was, um, thought to be an anger disorder adhd was thought to be an anger disorder mm-hmm. okay yep because anger and adhd are so intrinsically linked in the way they co-trigger each other like the executive function piece of it and how quickly you can that bottle rocket temper 
you know how it was explained to us right as being that one of those keystone characteristics of ADHD is that you just go from like rational to bottle rocket and you have that that career ending (laughs) the career enders you just say the meanest thing possible to end the conversation and and that whole skill and emotion um, and anger specifically is something that I know many of us spend a lot of time trying to process because you can't just walk around being angry at everyone. Well, you can, but it doesn't get you very far. I don't remember if I talked about it on the uh, show yet, but um, when I was still, when I was back in California for those three months, yeah, I uh, took an oh, yeah. anger management class. I don't think you have mentioned it yet. Uh, just to try and, and, and I think I, you know, I got as much out of it as you can because it's really just, all it was was a lot of reading. Well, you did it for me and I was really grateful that you took the time just to familiar, familiarize yourself with the concept of at least what was classified as anger management because I was feeling really, I, I don't know the right word, but like ineffective at communicating how your anger made me feel because I, I had no resources to help you. Now, to be fair, though, some of the anger you were dealing with was the result of a psychiatrist who did not recognize your autism, who continued to mismedicate you with your ADHD and inadvertently gave you not only the wrong medication, but then more of it in extended in instant release for a nighttime dose. And so, as you know, your anger got to a point where it wasn't even so much about your emotions as it was just about this massive brain chemistry explosion happening every night as you tried to transition home. Right. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> you nailed it. Thank you. Hit the nail right on the head. Yeah, I mean... I think the transition piece, not being able to transition easily, as we understand now, is some of the difficulty presented by autism. Um, but the unpredictability of coming home, although you would think you'd be coming home into a routine, we weren't in a routine state of our life. No, we were not. So, yeah, that's definitely something... Um that I struggle with and that's why I mean not not so much right this second but it's it's a daily challenge that I have to fight through the anger or the depression oh the depression is lingers all the time I'll bet well and probably even worse because we're not I feel like the medication I'm on now like I'm not as angry anymore I don't feel like I don't really feel angry very often at all no, I I haven't seen. That's how I know that piece. That piece of you didn't really exist before, and it really only was part of life during the mismedication portion of it. I mean, it's not like you couldn't get upset, but you wouldn't. But that anger and rage were like you could break door jams and you know pie pans. That was medication. That was the wrong medication. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, I broke a pie pan. You bent, oh yeah, yeah you bent it. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. And the screen on your phone. Oh, I mean, my f- I broke my phone a couple times. And no, it's but still the, broken. Yeah, because you had it all fixed, and then you finally you took your phone. 
lengthwise in both of your hands and you actually went to twist your phone like you're you were so strong in those moments I was positive you were going to break your phone in half as as if it was like one of those flip flown flones fip fip flones flip that's the name of this episode <laughs> welcome to fip flones okay flip phones there you go <clears throat> yeah <laughs> that sucked um anyways so yeah but emotional neglect is actually not something that's caused by mismedication or ADHD. It's actually more wide, wide, widely. There you go. I'm struggling. That's the right word. Widely, um, a result of how at least a few generations were raised with parents that didn't check in they didn't know to provide that emotional support they basically just assumed our emotions were on us and left us out there in the cold and to this day raised us as adults to be that way so um, I pulled up a couple of things for you since I know uh, I've done more of the reading but I wanted to bring you in on the process so I have a couple of resources up here to help you kind of guide through if you just want to read some talking points you want me to read them for the show? Yeah. Like, let's talk about these. Let me c- come over to you. Where am I starting? With a definition. <clears throat> Where's that? Um, do, 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 right there. Where's right there? Childhood emotional neglect happens when your parents sufficiently neglect your emotions and emotional needs, meaning they do not notice what you are feeling, ask about your feelings, connect with you on an emotional level, or validate your feelings enough. Should I keep reading? Yes. Emotionally, um, (laughs) I'm sorry, I I rubbed off on you. I caught whatever you had. (laughs) Emotionally neglectful parents usually have no idea they neglect their children's emotions. They are typically folks who, folks, folks who tend to turn a blind eye to feelings in general, including their own friends, families, co-workers and children's they may mean well and care for and want to do their best for their kids they probably have no idea what they are missing yeah i mean i i think we have this in both of our families um am am i continuing to read um how childhood emotional neglect plays out in a family that's a good one oh what about all this i mean it's all good but i'm going to post a link to this this is an article on psychology today um, called something fun eight red flags of emotional neglect in a family and it's written by uh, uh, Dr. Webb so I'll put this in the the post on the website um, the episode post I'll put a link to this there but how it plays out in a family I thought was very interesting and then she does go through and, and outline the eight emotional neglect signs to watch for and so if you I would read that whole yeah thing? if you would read that because i'd like to discuss some of these with you starting um, here uh-huh please has a psychologist who works with adults who grow up grew up uh, with childhood emotional neglect i have seen how it affects people's relationships with their families of origin what did i say families of origin it often results in adult children who sense that something is wrong with them but have no idea what that is and are also baffled by their feelings about their families. Yeah. So these are the eight signs of emotional neglect to watch for in your family, according to this lady. Number one, your family conversations tend to be on surface 
surface topics, meaning they are seldom about emotional, meaningful, painful, or negative things. This may even make it boring. Number two, you sometimes feel an unexplained resentment or anger towards your parents, which you may feel guilty about. Number three, you go to family events with hopes of enjoying yourself, but you often come away feeling empty or disappointed. Mm -hmm. Number four, difficult or interpersonal problems in the family are generally ignored instead of addressed directly. Yeah. Number five, it feels like your siblings are competing with each other, but you're not sure for what. Or, yeah, I have an alternative to that one. Okay, let's hear it. Based on my own experience. In my experience, my siblings and I don't compete with each other at all. Um, but there, I mean, there are six of us. But in my experience, it's more that we all have different viewpoints of anger and resentment and um, distrust towards our emotional emotionally neglectful parent and that is what divides us not necessarily competing with each other for attention we were actually very close for a long time until this emotionally neglectful parent decided that we were the problem and then actually worked to sever all of our relationships by trying to turn us all against each other real piece of work um so uh, we've experienced that competitiveness differently. We actually experienced it from our parent down to us. You see what I'm saying? No. This is saying that siblings are competing with each other. Yeah. Because what, what it's implying is that siblings are competing, competing with each other for attention from the parent. There were six of us. It says it feels like your siblings are competing f- with each other, but you're not sure for what. So Right. So I'm implying... That a lot of what you're competing for as kids is attention for your parents. Okay. But we weren't, we were never doing that because we had so many of us, we just bonded together. And it, and we had different viewpoints of how that emotional neglect felt to each of us. But what happened is that the emotionally neglectful parent got envious of the, the unity in our relationship as siblings and then tried to turn us all against each other. Sounds like a hoot. It's fun. Number six. I, I mean, I don't mean it that way. I'm, <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. Number six. Yes. Affection in your family is expressed via action, doing things for people, and not so much by words or emotional expression. Yeah. Or my favorite is like buying your love. Like you get all these gifts, whether you want them or not. That's how affection is, can be expressed in an unknown. Talking about presents or like... Oh, yeah internet video meme no things. like like gifts like oh i'm gonna buy them the best present and i'm gonna they're gonna love me for my present i'm just gonna give them this and give them that and give them this it's like we don't i don't want all you know the stuff don't the stuff doesn't replace the love but in their minds True. the stuff is the love sometimes that's all people have to give is stuff bullshit <laughs> number seven emotion perhaps only negative emotions but maybe all seems taboo in your family. That was my family also. Yep. Okay. Number eight, you feel surprisingly lonely or left out when you're with your family. Many of my siblings felt that way. Still do to this day. Okay. This is a fun topic. It's not fun. No, but when we talk about all these things like anxiety and depression and, you know, further diagnostic, Conditions like ADHD and autism, 
there's a unifying pattern of emotional processing challenges. And then you tie in, well, why is it, why, one of the big questions I've, I've had from the beginning is, how did you get missed? Why were you missed? Me? Yeah. Oh. Why did, why did. Because I was did, so talented. Okay, but. Why didn't someone notice there was something wrong? Why were you always just getting in trouble? Why were you nitpicked to death? I People did notice there was something wrong. Me. You did, but no one supported you in it. You were just nitpicked to death and grounded. And, you know, you get, you get held. It's like your family tends to do this thing that drives me nuts where, like, they call you when it's convenient for you and then they hang up on you 10 minutes later. And so you have to sit there and wait for the next phone call to come through. Like you're waiting, like your life is waiting on them. And that is also a sign of emotional abuse, by the way. But at the same time, it's not like in those conversations, it's those conversations are too short or too shallow to have any real impact on, hey, Blake, how are you doing? How are you feeling? You know, how's your, how's life? You know, is your medication working for you? You're sleeping well? Like, how are you handling this? How are you coping with that? It's not, it's, oh, are you, are you, it, it's all surface shit. Right. So you get this like glimpse of a, an emotional connection with a family member that you've been looking forward to speaking with who rarely makes time for you. And then it's five, 10 minutes of, oh, great. Got to go. Bye. <laughs> you get, you know, what do you get out of that? It's not always like that, though. Uh, well, how many times is it? actually a conversation where you feel emotionally fulfilled depends on the person okay so thinking of the same one person how many conversations in a row do you feel emotionally fulfilled by i know what person you're talking about i doesn't matter i'm not i'm not specifying one i'm just asking in general is it like every other conversation you get your needs met or every third or every fifth or every tenth conversation Oh, i have no idea i don't keep i don't have like a tally i'm not keeping track of it well, I would argue that it's gone on for so long, you may not even notice. Okay. So, um, I also, I know, sorry, I'm sorry. You're knocking everything I over. I know, I know. I'm looking at a different site. Um, signs of childhood emotional neglect include low self-esteem, difficulty. I was going to read. Oh, please do. <clears throat> <laughs> low self-esteem difficulty regulating emotions inability to ask for or accept help or support from others heightened sensitivity to rejection lack of language or for describing feelings dissociative tendencies shame or guilt around emotions any of that ring a bell no i have high self-esteem and a huge penis <laughs> okay be honest with me okay small penis that's not what I meant. <laughs> I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll play it though. Thank you. Yeah, I don't have very high self-esteem. Um, I don't know. If, do I feel... Maybe I do feel shame or guilt around emotions. You do. Okay. I think you do have disassociative tendencies in the fact that you, you're very fast like when you start to feel an emotion come in like you kind of swat it away like a fly you're like ah i don't want to feel that and you just disassociate from it it can be difficult when i am such an emotionally in-depth person 
what I get told when I'm trying to have an emotionally in-depth conversation is that I'm repeating myself or I'm not making any sense or uh, didn't we have that conversation last month? Like I end up really annoying you because I think you're so quick to dismiss your feelings and, and I feel them so much. It created a, a really sharp conflict for us in this moment in the in these areas and I could never understand why because I was like I know this man loves me like I know he cares about me but when it comes to my feelings why am I not allowed to have my feelings and I realized later when I think we were in we were in couples therapy when it was pointed out that like you're struggling with me having my feelings because it reminds you of your own feelings and and then you feel the burden of trying to help me with mine and yours at the same time. And then right there, you're overwhelmed. Yeah. So when it says lack of language for describing feelings, if I were to try and pinpoint why it's so overwhelming for you to listen to my feelings while also letting yours come up so we can try and work through both, it's it comes down to a lack of language for describing your feelings because I'll know, I know for, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you don't have the vocabulary to describe how you feel, then that's where the conversation falls off the rails. And it doesn't even matter how old you are. Like it can happen with me and Declan right now when he drops his vowels and I don't know what the hell kind of word he's trying to say. And I'm trying to guess and, I guess three times wrong and he's like, no, and he's down into a meltdown. Well, because we, we're not connecting on the language. So like the other day he was trying to tell me crazy high fives and he couldn't say the word crazy. And I just kept saying high fives and I'm like high fives. And I, I got the word crazy wrong like three or four times and man, it was an instant meltdown. Has that happened to you? As far as him having a meltdown? Because of Cause like he couldn't mispronouncing him, him mispronouncing something. And then you not being able to identify what he's trying to say. He just gets annoyed if I can't understand what he's saying. Ugh. Just annoyed? Yeah. He doesn't just break down into instant tears and flapping and... No. Okay. We are raising two different kids. <laughs> I'm sorry. But yeah, my kid's cool, man. I don't know about your kid. <laughs> Sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, it's it's a handful. But it, but it got me thinking because I watched this happen to us the other night, and I was like, "What the hell kind of word is he talking about?" And that's with us trying, like we're trying, he and I, to share the same word and connect on this idea. Like it sitting on the floor holding him as we, you know, gave up on trying to figure out the word and just came back together. I was sitting there thinking, wow, how many times have I tried to express my emotions to my parent and they didn't understand my words either? And how many times have I wanted to react the exact same way? You mean as an adult when, yeah. you, when you know that what you're saying is actually something that they understand or should understand? Should understand, yeah. Huh. I mean, it was just, I was sitting there on the floor just going oh my gosh like this doesn't get better just it's not a vocabulary issue because he's three like we don't have very strong emotional language and i don't think my my parents uh, one of my parents who's we i'm speaking as like generation ydsa okay 
I don't believe, my personal belief is, and according to the research that's coming out, is that there's entire generations that they're finding were raised under emotional neglectful parents. And I, I would venture to say it's multiple generations because um, I, I know that the, the span of people that are impacted by this, you know, I mean, their parents... I think it includes my parents. I think my parents were ra- were raised by emotionally neglectful parents. Yeah, I mean, if you look back at how people were raised, like people used to, I mean, just in general, I think people just, you wouldn't, I don't know, you wouldn't do what you do, what you would do back then, like when I was a kid or when you were a kid, but especially not when our parents were kids or, right grandparents no they they would let you just like i was allowed to go outside and just let it run rampant and like roam around and (coughs) so it was like one of those things would be like come back when the street lights are on and back when my mom was a kid it was like come back by the time the crow it's the dinner bell the cock crows (laughs) but that's the thing is that or something in both our parents and our grandparents generations and i'd venture to say way before that as well you know the main focus of the day was survival you know it was it was growing food and bringing home enough money to survive and you had all you know kids enough kids to tend to the farm and you know like we weren't we weren't looking around at each other going how you feel today it was more like did you eat did you get like half a meal today you know we had different priorities so um we've solved some of those survival challenges. It, survival is tough today for inflation reasons and a whole other host of challenges, but um, it's not the same. So now we're looking around at each other and going, yeah, I don't really have a language to discuss my emotions. Like, how do I, I, I how do I, how do I tell you that I'm hurt? Like, do you know the language of like hurt? If you tell if you went to tell someone that hey, you hurt my feelings and then went to describe how which feelings were hurt and how they were hurt, would you be able to do it? Me? Yeah. I think so. Okay. But I mean, are you when you say you hurt my feelings, like I wouldn't say you hurt me uh you would just say and you hurt me emotionally you wouldn't say like you hurt my sadness but can you walk up to someone and be like yeah i'm feeling really upset by I mean, what I, you just said i don't said. know if i nest- maybe but i don't normally whine about stuff like that well how often do you feel stuff like that when people hurt my feelings i don't know maybe more often than i would complain about it but do you feel hurt or do you feel angry hurt because you have a but then i get a- but then i get angry Right. And see, anger, anger is one of those emotions, man. It's like a override button. Once you get angry, that fires the amygdala and you're not processing emotion at that point. Now, what the amygdala does the and why I think um, anger is the go to switch here is because you're no longer feeling you're now in straight on fight or flight. That person, that event is a threat. You have your entire body getting ready to fight a tiger. You're not feeling, you're not processing, you're not connecting to which part of you was hurt or when you first felt that hurt in your life. 
you're not going, wow, this hurt right now reminds me of a hurt I felt when I was five. And, you know, because that's how emotions stack in the body. They, they just kind of repeat what we don't resolve takes a form with a different person in a different place in a different situation. And it repeats over and over till we resolve it. But as soon as you activate anger, <laughs> you don't even, you know, the brain's like, oh, resolve what? Let's just get mad. Well, I mean, I was, I was just thinking about, I don't know, like, does it hurt my feelings or is it more I'm annoyed? But, um, you know, I just lost two people at work. Right. And one of them was not a pleasant person to be around. So right. no love lost there. Um, because she was unapproachable and rude. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, yeah, as a kid, you get your feelings hurt. As an adult, you're just like, fuck off. You shouldn't be working around human beings. Yeah, but that's not, well, right. That's probably, that's a, okay. So that's a sign of emotional neglect, right? Because she can't channel her feelings either. So if she's feeling unvalued and unappreciated and doesn't really want to be there, she can't walk up and have a constructive conversation with her boss, you, that says, hey, boss, yeah, I'm uh, I'm not feeling <laughs> my best self here. And let me explain why. She's just throwing all of this unmanageable rudeness your way because it's a we've made it socially acceptable to be a bitch. And I don't mean that towards women i mean just in general just being a having a bitchy attitude gender neutral just like you would call a guy a dick same thing it's just you know it's we've made being upset acceptable you can be upset but heaven forbid you be hurt heaven forbid you feel alone or um shame even or you feel judged or you feel abandoned heaven forbid you feel undervalued and you know all these other more complex emotions that's not a sign of a mature adult <laughs> but it's okay to be angry i don't know it is more socially acceptable to be angry for especially for a dude women too i mean there's some difficult no that's not true it's more socially oh, acceptable no, for right. women to be sobbing messes no, I'll know or bossy is the word we get labeled with. Is but if a dude is, I'm just saying, like you're right. No, you're if right. If a woman's crying, you're right. People are like, oh, you poor thing. How are you? And if a man was crying, it'd be like, look at that pussy. Okay, that's fair. Whereas if a right. woman is angry, everyone's just like, wow, she's a bitch. Right. And if a guy is angry, it's you still think they're a dick, but it's that's, he's warranted that's, somehow. But that's the option. Right. Socially, that is the the more socially acceptable option for a man is to just be mad and to be, you know, that's why so many men, you know, if, and, you know, people have these fragile egos. Right. That's you a know, good... and like someone will go to a club and then end up getting shot because they said something or looked at someone wrong. And I'm like, how fragile are you really that? You you're shooting. You're gonna shoot someone because they looked at you wrong. Yeah, that there's like, no that's place for that. Weak. That's weak mindedness. And and weak willed, and crappy uh, emotional. Uh, 
nurturing regulation sure. regulation is the word i was looking for yeah i mean um in this other article on the same topic um also written by dr webb the lingering harm of childhood emotional neglect um it's a sense of being different from others in an unnameable way right <clears throat> so emotional neglect from childhood teaches people to ignore minimize or even be ashamed of their feelings as an adult current research establishes the importance of feelings when used effectively and she goes on to say um that trauma and abuse is something that happens to us right like you're 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 caught in a moment or several moments or lifetimes you know or lifetimes <laughs> years I was going to say, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) Sorry, years of someone constantly screaming and you have to walk on eggshells and they're throwing things, you know. But so that's something that happens to you. But emotional neglect is something that your parents omit, often unknowingly, but it's something that doesn't happen to the child. So, you know, I've said in several episodes, the three main emotional questions that we are born with is am I loved yes or no am I wanted yes or no and am I safe yes or no and when you tie those three questions and if you get a no on any of those questions you know during infancy even though you think oh this baby is really you know little and they're not processing it what were they again was am I loved am I safe what was the other one am I wanted am I wanted okay okay and there's a lot of research on babies and their feelings. And I was studying, uh, cause you know, I did a lot of pedi- pediatric work, <clears throat> um, when I was doing the crane, when I was full-time cranial sacral in my own practice, it b- back in California. And so I was studying pediatric work and it was really interesting how this particular concept stays with kids and it stays. And it, even if those questions become, if they stay no as kids, they remain no until we turn it to a yes, no matter how old we are as adults. Like, I'm pretty sure I just finally turned my last question from a, a no to a yes in the last month. Okay. Because they don't just automatically become yeses. Like, if you're born with a no, then it stays a no. No, I'm not wanted. You may end up feeling not wanted your entire life and not know it. You see where I'm going? I don't know where you're going, but I hear what you're saying. Okay, well, <laughs> fair point. Um, because as children, it's like we we don't even know that we're asking ourselves those questions. Like, am I am I wanted? Am I loved? And am I safe? They're just sort of built into the matrix of deciding. I mean, that's where self-esteem comes from. Like, kids that have stronger self-esteem can answer yes to those questions because then they're not... They're not feeling exposed in some very natural, primitive way. They're actually feeling safe in that way, and then they're ready to grow. And so it's like, how do you know, like, um, you don't, you're not born knowing that your parents are supposed to notice you're feeling something. You're not born knowing that you have to make an effort to identify what you're feeling, um, or show an interest and concern about your own feelings, or be able to talk about your own feelings. Those are all learned skills. And they're skills that have to be taught to us by our parents asking us those questions. Okay. So that's why you see... Sorry, I know that you're expecting me to say more, but I 
I did not. <laughs> you did not. You've you've seen. I know we're raising two different kids here, but you've seen in the middle of some of the bigger breakdowns that Declan has. I'll just stop and go. What is happening right now? Like, what are you feeling right now? And he'll say, "I'm mad, mom. I'm mad." I'm like, "Okay, good, good," because he needs to be able to connect that feeling that he feels in his body with the mental knowledge that it means he's mad. Right. Um, I even talking to his therapist a lot this week, she said the best thing we can do is just help him connect those thoughts to his feelings and be able to name worry or, you know, I'm hungry or I don't want to go or all these little nuanced things. I ask, I used to ask you all the time what you were feeling and you'd be like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I stopped asking you because you got more annoyed by the question. Because it feels like you're trying to therapize me. I, okay, but let's, ex- okay, you're going to have to expand on that because I feel like as your wife, at the time I was one, showing concern and two, trying to figure out what the heck was happening so I knew how to help you. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, I don't need to be a therapist to, to be concerned. Yeah, but sometimes you feel emotions and you don't really know which one you're really feeling that you can say, you know, what are you feeling right now? Like, I don't want to be, you know, have Dr. Mom coming up to me and asking me that. Like, ask me later. But if I did, okay, here's the problem with that. I understand your, your point of view, but every single time I would ask you, it would result in the exact same answer from you. So then at zero point in time, could I get an answer? At zero point in time, did you know what you were feeling? And 100% of the time, I got accused of nagging and being Dr. Mom, which by every other definition would have been labeled a good wife. Okay. So I struggle with the negative labels because it's not a sign that I'm doing something wrong. It's a sign that you're so emotionally neglected, you don't even know your feelings. And how dare I ask you? Because that's just going to bring up that you don't know something about yourself. And that feels like a threat. I'm guessing. Because you handled it with anger. So that's why I draw that conclusion. Now who's blaming I'm not blaming. I'm trying to, I was always, I never had these words before. I was just always trying to figure out like, how can I help you if no good deed goes unpunished? Like that can't be how we make progress. Well, okay. That makes sense. So here's my problem with, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up, this whole conversation is because one, it's very prevalent in my personal life and it is 100% showing me how I actually do have more anxiety and depression than I have ever been aware of. And I, again, not chronic, but. <laughs> Maybe you need some chronic. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, it's just these things can be debilitating when we can't talk about them. And, and I have a relationship with one parent 
where it's a love hate relationship. I, I love this person and I'll turn around and I just, and I just want to scream at them because I, everything I try and do to develop a relationship, I feel like is in vain. And then I get nowhere. And then I still feel like I'm that person's parent and I'm, and I, and I have to parent them and they're not parenting me. And it's just so backwards. And it's like, it's like this person is supposed to be my parent and I feel like they're my child. It's just so counterproductive to my ability to grow and be a good parent on my own. <laughs> yeah. And I know for a fact my parents cannot name their feelings. Can't do it. Can't recognize mine. I, everything is, I, I get called bossy and controlling and i'm like by who by this parent oh really oh yeah that's funny isn't it coming from someone that's pretty controlling themselves <laughs> i mean i i get controlled i'm so controlled i'm supposed to control you me yes you you're my husband right was so you're supposed to do what they want. What? Uh-huh. That's the when emotional neglect has had so many years to percolate and embed the essence of what you think is emotion, what I have found is that it starts to present as this fantasy of what life is supposed to look like. Oh, it's going to, you're going to get married to this person and they're going to like me and we're going to have this great relationship and they're going to want to be around me and talk to me and, 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 and I'm going to feel just as great, you know, with them as I should have felt with my own spouse. I mean, like you're supposed to fill a role, you, because the emotional gaps are so big that not just inter inner circle relationships have got fantasies built around how they're supposed to play out but then who we marry is supposed to fit into this fantasy of how it's supposed to fill out for this one individual so i am so controlled i'm supposed to control you so that you also fulfill this person's needs that's the depth of emotional neglect that is generations deep all right but i think you can relate that likewise I've experienced similar things with your family in the role that I was supposed to have in my relationship as your child's mother backwards up your line of relationships that I didn't meet. According to whom? <laughs> that was an evil laugh. <laughs> I'm just not sure how to answer that question. <laughs> I know my family doesn't listen to this podcast because why would they bother to support me? But um, but yours might. So I, I'm choosing my words carefully because I don't believe it's done in. What's the word like malicious intent? Yes, I think it's because their generation was also emotionally. And I know for a fact yours was. And then when you add divorce. And. You know, everyone came back from the war and then now you have all this substance abuse, all this alcoholism. You have, you know, very traumatized PTSD. You're talking about World War II? They're both wars. What wars? World War II and World War I. I think both generations 
of parents and children during those wars were were impacted in similar ways. Okay. And so when I was researching codependency a few years ago, they talked about you could be codependent to another person and you could be codependent to a substance or you could be codependent to things like money or your job. And I never considered that both my parents were codependent, but one was codependent as a workaholic and the other was codependent as a as a control freak. I don't want to use that word, but you know, yeah, controlling yeah. Controlling freak. That's a control freak. <laughs> I was trying to find a kind of What's with term. their what's with the goofy laugh tonight? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I had a nap. I've you know. All right. I just I can't tell you how many times I hear my clients tell me that their kids are in trouble at school because their quote unquote behavior isn't compliant. And yet the teachers aren't asking or trying to, and they don't have the chance, right? Most of them, because there's too many kids in a classroom and there's all these other education problems, but, but they're just expecting compliance from our, from our kids so that they can get through their lesson without too many interruptions and all they have is interruptions and our kids don't have the language to stand up and go, hi, I'm struggling right now to pay attention to you because you're boring as shit and I need to fidget. My body can't like, I can't just sit still in this chair. So I I go back, we talk about self-advocacy a lot and I just feel like if you had more language to describe your needs, which you have zero practice in, (laughs) right? Okay. Because you weren't raised... I asked being asked about your feelings. You weren't raised to have to think about your feelings to this day. When I ask you about your feelings, I'm Dr. Mom or I'm nagging you. Think about the trauma in those words. So how are you supposed to develop self-advocacy if you don't even feel comfortable asking yourself how you feel? I know how I feel. Okay, give me some words. Depressed. (laughs) Do you know that depressed is an umbrella term? Okay. Do you know how many feelings can go under the umbrella of depressed? It's a feeling that if you really are depressed, you know exactly what it means. Exactly. And it that's that heavy weighted blanket I was talking about at the beginning because it's so many different feelings all at once. It just puts this pressure and it's chemical, right? It's chemical. We've talked several times about the neuroscience of thoughts and feelings. Remember? Yes. So what you think becomes what you feel. And then what you feel becomes what you think. And you get stuck in these thought and feeling loops. And then the chemical reaction of those thoughts and feelings just, I mean, it just takes your body out. I prefer fruit loops. (laughs) Okay. Stupid. Sugar. Sure. I get it. Yeah. I like sugar. Yep. I I bet. Sugar spikes the brain. Sugar for a moment helps you feel good. It, it, It gives you something to be like, ah, and it takes a little bit of that heaviness off getting attacked by cats over here well you're in the perfect cat position that's right so has anyone ever like have you ever talked about emotional neglect with any of your therapists or anything i don't know i'm currently between therapists because some of the lasting effects are difficulty maintaining relationships which is something we hear a lot in autism uh, relationships that are distant or disconnected. I mean, we're seeing that in autistic kids. 
right? That's one of the hallmarks is that the you don't our kids don't want to play with their peers, the solo play, um, distrust of others, inability to ask for help, uh, persistent feelings of loneliness, guilt, or shame. And I might add that um, that includes when you're in a relationship. So you may be sitting right next to a long-term partner on the couch watching your favorite show together and you still feel loneliness, guilt, and shame. Yeah, that sounds about right. Because there are plenty of times when... I mean, there's times... It's hard because there's like times where I'm hanging out with Declan and I'm just like, I should feel better right now. Yeah. Like I should feel more emotionally fulfilled. And then I don't want to put that pressure on him because it's not his job to fulfill me emotionally. It's my job to do that for him. Right. So. But and that's the thing is that if I were to ask you, I am going to ask you, do you feel, let's just say you and your life, Blake, compared to Blake's life, do you feel loved? Sometimes. Not from other people, but do, do you feel like you love your own life and yourself? Oh, sometimes. Do you feel wanted? By myself? By yourself in your own life. Uh, I don't know. Sure. Do you feel safe? Sometimes. It's sometimes to all three. Okay, but no, not one yes. So you as an adult are still trying to turn those no's to yeses. No's that have probably been no since a minimum of you being two according to what we know about your story. I would venture to guess maybe even younger. Probably okay. even younger. That you had no's in those key areas and you still to this day have no's and you're in a few years approaching your fourth decade of life. In a few years. Quiet. <laughs> That's right. A few years, not, not anytime soon. So... That just illustrates the point. You're still trying to recoup for what you lost and didn't get fulfilled. And they and here's the thing that that's, that I struggle with with all these um, sites. They're like, oh, this is emotional neglect, and this is how you 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 heal it. You you can get through it. You just have to feel your feelings. I'm like, okay, where's the disclaimer that says this article was written for an, a neurodivergent individual or a neurotypical? Because the way I read some of these, it's like there should be a disclaimer that says this article is written for a neurotypical. Because there's no literal or logic way that they, there's no, let me say it differently, they don't offer a literal or a logical process for you to follow that actually gives you some helpful tips to do that. Feel your feelings, Blake. Is that helpful? Not when you say it like that. <laughs> That's what the article. Just just practice feeling your feelings all day long. You want you want to know what else is really super interesting? Um, I was reading about how different emotions. So we know that everything you think becomes a hormone in your body, and that hormone produces a feeling. And that feeling registers back to your mind that, oh, I've had a feeling and it matches your thoughts. So great, the loop is created. But certain disconnects in that process can directly relate to your inability to sense your own body's senses. Do you, you know, have you ever lost track of time in terms of eating? You know the answer to that is yes. 
How about other physical needs? Having to go to the bathroom. That's it. So right there from a neuroscience perspective, they have shown that by turning off or not being asked or not being nurtured to identify your feelings, it is actually creating some of the disconnects in your ability to feel your own body sensations also. Okay. Noodle on that for a minute. I mean, that's a big deal. No? Oh, it's a big deal? I think it's a huge deal. Um, Because it's like, you want to sit there and... You want to feel like you're in control of something and yet you're own you're not even paying attention to your own body. Oh, I didn't I didn't notice that I'm tired. I haven't slept. Oh god. I haven't gotten up and my foot's asleep. Oh my god. <laughs> my foot falls asleep. Uh-uh. Okay, last thing I want to say and then um do you have a pop minute and news minute this week? I do, but it's because we skipped a week. It's last it, week. It's last week. Okay. Well, I just wanted to bring up so there was a 2019 study that found that anger is linked to an increase of inflammation in the body, which is known to be associated with many chronic health problems like arthritis, heart disease, and even cancer. Um, I know inflammation is a huge topic of, of research and discussion right now, and, it, and one of the challenges with a neurodivergent um, biology is that it don't you, we don't, eliminate our toxins very well and what they mean by toxins is a lot of the inflammation so there can be a buildup of not only are we prone to producing extra information inflammation but we struggle to detox it so i think that's the struggle in a 2020 study uh kershaval et al found that the feeling of hope prevents people from developing addictions wait what does the feeling of hope okay so I thought, I was like, yeah, and that I have a feeling of hope constantly that I'm going to figure out how to make like some of my passion projects really work for the betterment of some of my goals. And that keeps me uh, in alignment in a lot of my, my, my decision making. But then in a 2016 study by De- Dickens and Desteno. De- Dickens. Ah, <laughs> Dickens and DeSteno found that the feeling of gratitude reduces people's impulsiveness. Okay, say it again. I'm, <laughs> it's hard for me because it's like when I read a paragraph and then I go back and I'm like, what did I just read? No, I'm happy to repeat it. I read it a, a few times myself. I was like, yes. A 2016 study by Dickens and DeSteno found that the feeling of gratitude reduces people's impulsiveness. So I'm not grateful enough is what you're saying? Correct. That's bullshit. But have you been really, so we did that whole episode on gratitude, but like, have you really taken some of those tips and just walked around your apartment and been like, man, I'm grateful for that treadmill or, hey, I'm grateful for my couch or like, have you, have you done that? Yep. Liar. I can see by your face. Nice <laughs> try. I tried. What? I mean, like, why is gratitude? Everyone's talking, again, everyone's talking about gratitude as this magic, you know, pill, but no one's explaining it because no one's being literal and logical about it. But the feeling of gratitude 
what it does is it actually helps you to connect with the things that you have in your life already that you appreciate. It's a very, very simple feeling of I have it and I'm grateful for it, which means I wanted it like that thing is wanted and loved. And because of that, I am wanted and loved. And it's a connection. It's a positive emotional connection. So it actually helps you to kind of close some of those gaps on am I wanted, am I loved? It also could be something that helps you feel safe. So it brings it full circle. And just by feeling that feeling, even for just 16 seconds, which is why I say walk around your house and pick five or six things like I'm actually super grateful for this toddler table I bought two years ago. Look how much usage I've gotten out of it. It's amazing. Look at the rocking chair that I, I can't imagine life without. Because in the brain chemistry... I'm grateful for indoor plumbing. Yes! You would not believe how much you would actually benefit your own brain chemistry by just walking into your bathroom and going, I'm grateful for indoor plumbing. Thanks, toilet. <laughs> You, you would be. This feels like Thanksgiving when you go around like everyone go around the table and say something they're thankful for. Yeah, but it's so surface and it's so much about at that point the social play of it, right? It's like the ego of it. Like actually just being thankful for, for, for benign things. I'm grateful that I have a patio that lets me hang my beautiful solar powered lights of which you bought all of them. That fills See? me. See? I'm grateful for me too. <laughs> But I, seriously, it actually helps to reduce impulsivity because that part of your brain, that dopamine center of your brain that creates that impulsivity, that got to go by, got to go do this, got to get on TikTok. You're filling it with the same drug that you would be spending money to fulfill just by walking around being grateful for a lamp, which I am. My, my dragonfly lamp. It's like, oh, I love that. You lamp. just keep pointing at shit I bought you. Maybe I need to buy myself some stuff. I didn't realize. And then, and then I'll be more gracious. I, you know what? You have bought every single thing I have mentioned. Except for the rocking chair. My siblings bought me that. But who picked it? Damn. Damn. Booyah. <laughs> I think it means it's time for News Minute. <laughs> Are we, do you think we've covered this, uh, this episode? Yes. I'm excited. Well, news has been a tough. Yes. What do you got? Let's see. You want to do the honors in News Minute? You know I can't sing. I know you can't sing. I just wanted to make sure everyone else knew. <laughs> I was singing to uh, Gar Guardians of the Galaxy tonight. When we were Guardians of the Galaxy? Is that what I said? You did say that. Damn. Guardians. Anyways, he goes, Mom, sing in your quiet voice. <laughs> <laughs> And then I kept singing, and he goes, Mom, sing in your silent voice. <laughs> I was like, ouch. That is, that is ouchy. All right, News Minute. Boris Johnson, the UK's prime minister, has stepped down due to a wave of criticism. Became seemingly too much for him. He won his position in 2019 after promising to deliver a Brexit deal and lead the UK to a brighter future outside of the EU. His premiership, however, unraveled in the aftermath of the COVID-19 pandemic. I did hear about this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a gunman opened fire at the 4th of July parade on Monday in Highland Park, Illinois. Seven were killed and a dozen more were wounded. 
Did you hear about that? No, but I was reading a book that um, talked about the origins of shame and how shame um, is the master of emotions and can be linked to bullying and how most of our gunmen in uh, these crises were bullied and uh, never got help for it. Yeah. It's a it's definitely a mental health crisis. Emotional too. I mean, being bullied. You're talking about the absence of power. A mental and emotional health crisis. Oh yes, that's yes. Next up, warning signs. A 23 year old American tourist from Baltimore was hiking the Forbidden Trail around Mount Vesuvius, and fell into the crater while trying to retrieve retrieve his cell phone. The phone, as I understand, is just fine. This dumbass, on the other hand, was lucky to come out with only bruises and potentially formal charges if the prosecutor decides to move forward. The tourist was hiking with some other bright members of his family, where there are clearly marked warning signs to avoid situations like these. At its peak, Mount Vesuvius is 4,190 feet tall, while the crater is 1,476 feet deep. Damn. Oh, sorry. 1,476 feet in diameter. Oh, my God. It's 984 feet deep. Oh, still. So my apologies to our non-U.S. listeners. I'm also a dumbass and don't understand the metric system. Imperial all the way. (laughs) I don't either. A male nurse at a privately run detention center in Lumpkin, Georgia, is being accused of sexual assault by four different women. The complaint... Sorry, I wrote something funny. I thought, anyway, we'll see how funny it is because it's referring to sexual assault the complaint alleges that the nurse quote coerced women into giving him access to private parts of their body without medical justification or need so how does that even work it's like nurse i'm in a lot of pain i understand i have a hurt toe okay first things first i'm gonna need to get him look at them titties i don't know how that works the women were allegedly i'm that's why i thought that was funny because it's like it's like that uh, Robert Schimmel joke mm. where he's talking about um, saying like, oh, you get a shot like you're at the dentist when you go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. But he was saying something that's like Novocaine shot. But it's like anyway. And then uh, he's like, yeah, it's like when you go to the doctor and then you're like, this tooth hurts. And he's like, spread your legs. Yeah, it just seems it's just such an abuse of power. Yeah. The women who were allegedly assaulted are described as detainees from late 2021 to early 2022. Two of the women notified the detention center's officials and they were brazenly retaliated against Mm -hmm. through aggressive and accusatory interrogations and threats of prolonged imprisonment, according to CNN. I believe that. The nurse is currently still working and seeing, yep, and seeing patients at the detention center. A spokesman for Core Civic the private company that operates the detention facility said in a statement released to CNN that an internal administrative investigation of two of the women's accusations found one woman's claim to be unsubstantiated and the others to be unfounded. The nurse was placed on administrative leave during the company's investigation. Davio said, whoever that is, I must have, did I skip that part? Okay. Someone named Davio adding that there have been no allegations against the nurse before or since. As he was cleared of all allegations, the nurse is still in our employ. We unequivocally deny any claims of threats of retaliation. Wow. Or retaliation, sorry. Um, Any more thoughts on that before I move on to 
pop minute. Oh, I have a lot of thoughts. You better just move on. Okay. The trailer for Kevin Smith's Clerks 3 dropped this week. What? In the film, Randall, played by Jeff Anderson, has a heart attack and decides to make a movie about his life. This is reminiscent of Smith's own personal story, mm-hmm. where after a speaking engagement, he had a heart attack off stage back in 2018. Clerks 3 will feature many of the original cast and those from its sequel, including Rosario Dawson, Brian O'Halloran, Jason Mewes, Trevor Furman, and of course, Kevin Smith as Silent Bob. Clerks 3 will be released by Lionsgate this September. Okay. I like Kevin Smith. Me too. I'm a fan. Yeah. I liked when we would go see him. Yeah, we saw him live a couple times. In the Spectrum. Irvine Spectrum. Sorry, just to be clear. (laughs) Right. As opposed to the autism spectrum. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I realized. I was like, oh, I better add some geographical qualifiers. Yeah, I wonder wonder how long they're going to be able to call that place the Irvine spectrum before someone says that it's like offensive or something. Or just needs to be rebranded. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think that's enough out of us this week. Don't you think? Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to... Ah, uh, remember, remember. Remember, damn it. <laughs> Do you know why we Don't say it Don't forget way? to remember. <laughs> you know, because the brain doesn't hear the word no. So all you're basically telling the brain is, hey, forget this. Hey, forget to sign up. Remember to sign up for the Facebook group. Join the group. Join the conversation. Also, make sure that you... Uh, listen on your preferred platform and like and follow and all that kind of good stuff. Leave um, us a review. Leave if us you a can. review. Yeah, someone. Damn it! About time. <laughs> it's about time we get a review out of one of you. And it can take me sometimes a week. Um, but I am putting. What's the word? I'm taking every single episode and adding it individually to the website, and that's where I'm putting all the links that we mention in in each episode. And so in. And it's not a transcript um, because that's too hard to do with us, but it does go point by point in terms of topics with the timestamp of when that topic starts. So if you want to reference back any specific part or you wanted to show, sh- show share the episode, it's a very easy way to do it. Just go to youdon'tsoundautistic.com, um, go to podcast or go to episodes, you'll find it. And then you can share on uh, your preferred social media platform as well. And then I'm starting to embed an actual player in on that page. So you don't even have to search. But I also have links to Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcast. Sweet. Sounds good. I also have links to the Facebook group. Just to make it easy. All right. And then there is a a button at the bottom where you can ask us a question. So if you have a a topic or a question you want to ask or you want us to address on the show and you don't want to do it in the Facebook group, you can go to that link and it'll take you to a contact page. Send it to us privately. Yes. Or you can always just send one of us a message. Absolutely. So thanks for listening. We will be back hopefully next week. But um, yeah. We do our best. We do the best we can. Just like you. All right. I'm Blake. I'm Michelle. And we'll be back. Cue the music.